Hello and welcome to another episode of the Underhive Law Keepers podcast, the number one Necromunda law podcast fueled entirely on chemically treated amble testosterone. As always, I am Spamuel, and to my right, the mastiff manipulating manvent himself, Nathan. Hey mate, how are you? Uh, for the <laughs> listeners out there, I've just watched this man spend five minutes coming up with that because he realised he didn't have one ready. It was a glorious thing to actually win this first hand, but also very disappointing for the outcome I got. But I'm good, brother. How are you? Everything <laughs> planned except this. <laughs> you got the giggles, do you? Yep. Um... Yeah, no, Mastiff manipulating Manvin. I think I think it's really good. Are you really happy with that, are you? It was so hard coming up with three M words. <laughs> One of them being Manvin. Um no, I'm good. I'm good. Just I'm good. um I'm not gonna lie, I have been using aerosol paints in a enclosed garage. Um because I have been painting my gang. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Your boy has actually applied some pipe paint to a gang. And uh, at the rate I'm going, they may just be ready in time for Arkramunda. In 2024, yes. 2024. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm not saying what year this gang will be ready in. Yeah. Um, slap job. Slap job. Slap job. Honestly, yes. I'm, I'm, undercoat, high highlights. I'm trying. Um, I it turns out I forgot how to thin my paints, and I get it oh. contrast. You know, you just get them on there. But I'm just, yeah, I just love. I just need to be better. So <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Uh, but more importantly, my dude, how is your gang coming? Uh, at the Date this episode is released. We will be approximately two weeks, like more than enough no, time. Two weeks, yeah. We will be two weeks away from Arkhamanda. Yeah, that's fine. I'll probably get another gang done that time. Like just <laughs> the incredible pace and focus that I work with is just phenomenal. And as people would have seen on Instagram, a couple of lads yes. are already up there. Yes, and they're looking. I think they look brilliant. I think I'm sort of um, how do I put this in the most modest way possible? A genius. Genius, yeah. Uh, yeah. genius songbird voice of a generation. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm I'm chopping along quite nicely with them. The the only thing that uh, is probably a little bit more of a struggle than I imagine it would be is the uh, vehicle. So I thought I was going to be very clever with that and just bolt a big um, mining laser on it. Yeah. But the more I do, the more I want to do. And I yeah. haven't quite switched on that little switch in my brain that just goes, that's enough, move on to the next miniature. So, And as anyone who's seen the gangers you've thrown up on Instagram would know, uh, your gang does have a lot going on already. Um, yeah. It is uh, just a cacophony of different bits and kits that have gone into the, And they all look fantastic, <laughs> but we've got two weeks, dude. Get them, get them painted. <laughs> there's a there's a little mantra we have in my workplace, in my family, amongst friends. It's faith in Nath. You say it a lot, don't you? I like to think of um, bands from the '90s here, when people have to say things like that and just say "faith no more." 
Oh, that it, you know, that's worse than any joke I've ever put on this podcast. Any joke. Oh, I said faith no more when you said faith. Oh, he's a genius, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not the one who said it this time. But <laughs> anyway, yes. We'll yes. on before we start hurting each other's feelings. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, gangs are good. We're on track. We will both yes. get to Akramunda with everything done and painted and going. And that takes us to the first somewhat official piece of business. Gummers, our competition is still going. And we've gotten a lot of people reaching out to us on that and following those instructions and requests of follow us on Instagram, like the post that came out with our Hive Life episode, and just tell us what gang you want to start. And you're in the running to win a gang box of your very own. But we've also got people who have DM'd us, hey, I would love to win this gang, or have liked the post and have liked the us on Instagram, but haven't told us what gang they want on that post. Mm. Please jump on all three of those options. Get it up there because... There's, there's a lot of people in this competition now and we want to see a lot more. Yeah, 100%. So make sure you do you do follow us um, and make sure you do write your gang that you want in there because we want to get one lucky winner out there, a gang. Also, furthermore to that, I'd just say the, uh, the positive vibes and response that we're getting on Instagram has just been fantastic. Thank you, everybody out there, for just the love. Um, it makes this... So much more. Well, it's still fun to do this, but it just adds that extra layer of fun to our podcast just to know that there's so many people out there enjoying our content. And it's insane the number of people reaching out to us and just being like, oh, someone reached out just the other day and went, oh, hey, I was listening to your episode episode on the Escher and they were telling me that the, I believe it was the Morrigan? Uh, remember, we were like, oh, I wonder if this is a real word or if it's actually, you know, a, a real thing about, mm. um, you know, what that group was called. And it's mm. just like, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, so a fella by the name of uh, the Wargaming Butterfly, if no one said, the Morrigan is a feature in Celtic and Irish, mostly Irish folklore, who is the queen witch of war, death and retribution. Cool. That is insane. We are now more informed. That's brilliant. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't see that one. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's just little things like that. People yeah. reaching out and being like, oh, I listened to this. Or, mm. um, you know, hey, you mentioned this in an episode. Has anything further come from that? And mm. a bunch of people have actually reached out after the Hive Life episode asking uh, not only in regards to stuff about our Hive Mortis campaign, we promise we will have something for you all really soon in regards to that. Um, I tried out one of the scenarios me and Nath had come up with and I somehow um, broke it. But then uh, also the mission that we were talking about, uh, Democracy Manifest, um, I had a lot of fun playing that against myself and immediately got just stomped out of existence by six very pissed off enforcers. Um, so we will run that through a few more tests and we will get it up there uh, for everyone to have a play with. Yeah, so uh, one of the guys who contacted us is, is um, at Jason 
Turner Minis on Instagram, and yes. we did, we, are, we responded to him. But yes, my friend from the Instagram world, we are we have got it in the works. We have got a campaign coming. We're not going to set a, a hard and fast time frame on it, just because it is something of a bit of a passion project for us at the moment. We're coming up with tasty little ideas and little inclusions for what we can do for this Mortis campaign, but we will have it eventually and have it available for everybody to use, trial and tell us where to improve or what they love from it. You can't expect too much from us. I've had a year to prepare for this <laughs> event in November <laughs> and um, I am still building part of the gang. Uh, <laughs> so I'm only two weeks from the event. That's fine. That's fine. Plenty of time, Matt. Plenty of time. But Nathan, our episode today. Yes. Talking about the fauna on Necromunda. So this is this is a really cool aspect of the planet because um, fauna, well, we'll say flora for the moment, but flora and fauna within the 40k sphere is generally only really touched on. Um, it's about the armies and about the battlefields and so forth. Whereas in Necromunda, on Necromunda, apologies, on Necromunda, the fauna are really important because we you're sort of drilling down into what it's like to be on that planet. So it's really important that we get an, uh, an understanding of the types of creatures and beasts that are not only native to the planet, but also that are imported in there and how they affect those environments. And... I'm going to cut off a couple of the questions I know we're going to get after this episode is released. Um, guys, there's a lot of animals in the list that we know are on Necromunda that you haven't mentioned. Um, this is going to be a multi-part episode purely for the fact of, A, there's a lot when it comes to sort of the El Generico animal options available or sort of mentioned in a lot of the background lore for Necromunda. But also, a lot of the stuff we're not talking about is going to be house or gang specific. For example, the chimerics of House Escher or the sump crocs of House Goliath. Um, they would be mentioned in their own gang specific episodes. Uh, for example, the Escher stuff has already been mentioned. But we don't want to be talking and putting all of this information and time into something now that we're going to actually be able to go into much deeper in those specific gang episodes. Uh, that being said, uh, a lot of this is going to be, as it usually is with us, a mixture of official law, uh, headcanon. Uh, in the case of Caryatids, as I promised you all, I believe in that rulebook episode, it's going to be a lot episode. of conspiracy theory from me. Uh, I have opinions on Caryatids, yeah. and you are all being forced to listen to those. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's, there's going to be a couple episodes on this, and later on, maybe get into some of the flora as well. Um, I'm, I'm yeah, sure I think so. Like, I mean, this, in our in our research, in our research, we we've not really found a great deal related to the flora. There's there's enough. There's enough out there to, to keep it interesting, but it's definitely the fauna side of it, the animals and the beasties and all that, that are certainly the more um, talked about and mentioned things on Necromunda. Um, so I guess what, we're, what we obviously want to explore within this is how you use those beasts. Yeah, so if, you, if you're talking about in, involving more beasties and animals and so forth within your gang, um, I think it's a, it's a great way to not just have some 
awesome different types of miniatures and models to place it within your gang, some converting opportunities as well, but also a great way to help create more character and depth for an individual gang member or a champion or whatever that you have a beastie that's attached to them. So, you know, for use of a better term, a Turner and Hooch of Necromunda. That'll obviously be more focused on in the Enforcer episode. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. You realise by the time we do that, you now have to have special rules written for a Turner and Hooch style character. <laughs> but um, it, look, I mean, if anybody knows that movie, it's a very, very sad ending, especially if you're a Pooch lover. So, um, Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks, yeah, Tom Hanks. Yeah. And the, the dog saves his life. Spoilers, but it was made in the 80s, so you yeah. should watch it by now. Um, but yeah, so I think where I view animals on Necromunda, it's more about... Um, how you include them in their gang and, and what they what they bring to the characters that are already in your gang. Um, from a law perspective, like you know, once we start talking plagues and all the all the rest of the things, like plagues of animals, I mean, uh, not things like the uh, the mortis plague. That's that's a different way of looking at the law and you know, with this new way of uh, playing Necromunda with what five thousand credits or something, you could just have. A um, a plague of giant rats swarming a hive. Five thousand creds worth of giant rats mm. that your gang's got to survive against. <laughs> Honestly, cool. they take down most gangs with just sheer weight of attacks. Yeah, yeah. That'd, that'd be a wicked fight, though. That's a hundred rats. Five thousand creds. A giant necromancer giant rat is fifty creds per yeah. rat. Yeah. So. Oh. You're... That would be really cool. And they just like swarm the battlefield and they just go for it. They just like, you just, you, you would fairly, you would let the other gang know, look, you're going to be taking on a hundred giant rats. Bring your, bring your flamethrowers and your blast weapons. What you do. And I'm just derailing this whole I know, I know. already. Um, yep. You'd model them in groups of 10, right? With yep. one of them being like, obviously much bigger. And that's, yep. That's your rat champion, okay? Hear me out. And then, because you've got that six-inch activation. Also, yeah. just rewinding, that Apocrypha Necromunda that was yeah. released, the whole gang wars, the, mm. the internet hated it. Um, I want to make an official statement here um. that Underhive Lawkeepers loves this. Like, we do. I, as soon as it was released, I called Nathan and I'm like, okay, you need to shut up and read this. <laughs> and immediately it's like, we could do 5,000 points worth of this. It's just like, how many orcs can we fit in 5,000 points and exactly. do a raid on the skull? But yeah. anyway, so you go back here. Yeah, we love it. Just, just play it. Just, 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 just play it. Um, do each do one out of ten as like a king rat because you do have that six inch activation. Mm. You're activating ten rats at a time. Yeah, that's sick. Oh, and then do you know what? And I'm I'm joining you on the the derail. Um, you make your king rat like a a skaven. So like a, a half rat, half human type thing. So it's actually like a little beastmaster rat. There's nothing special about him, but just on the table, so yeah, that's that's the king rat, and he's got a whip or whatever, or he's got like a piece of cheese on a stick, and he just like throws that stick at the opposition, and then, poof, they all swamp that one ganger. Okay, gang idea. Gang idea. Because <laughs> up to twenty five percent of your gang can be someone from a different, from a different gang, gang, right? Yes. So your yeah. main gang is actually the rats. 
all right? Yeah. Then you use just enough points to have a single corridor mm. and arm him with like a club, but model it as a flute. Yes, bro. Yes. The Pied Piper of Primus. <laughs> okay, I'm going to write this scenario and I'm going to have it out as soon as possible. I want someone to play test the Pied Piper of Primus mission for me. Yes. Um, you need 99 rats um, and a single corridor versus 5,000 points or whatever you've got. And... Yeah. I, I want responses, people. I, I need to know what is going on here because I think that'd be it. Just, can you just imagine like the gun line of just, because yeah. you're going to run out of ammo. 100%. Imagine when, when you fail that ammo check with your, I don't know, grenade launcher, and you're like, oh, no, 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 not on the first roll. I need this, baby. I need this thing to work. Or like any weapons that are All I've got left shot. is my stud gun. Oh, dude, imagine that. You're relying on... Um, you know, X, X bits of weapon, you're like, oh, you, you got an Ash Waste Gang with a, a missile launch. You're like, yes, I've got my big giant frag missile. I'm going to mess this up. This is going to be awesome. And then first roll. Now, buddy, you bought one round. That was it. Oh, the terror. The terror of fighting that. Pray so to cool. your gods, human. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, let, let, let's switch it, switch it back to the actual episode um, and a flip to it. The Pied Piper of Primus is coming. Uh, I promise you all. Um, I actually have a miniature here that I could use as... No. no. Um, we're Let's talking flip. about the fauna of Necromunda. Now, we're going to do this alphabetically. So please, if we have missed something, uh, message it through to us and we can quickly blame Nathan for not being able to do his letters correctly. And yeah, right. we will ensure to slot it into the next one. But, Nath, we have, first up, we have the amble. So why don't you take that one for us? Let me just amble into this one. <laughs> You're welcome. An amble is a massively built, roughly humanoid xenos creature with an insect-like armoured carapace and oversized arms tipped with iron-hard claws. Their pronounced haunch stance lowers their true height greatly, but when fully upright, with claws stretched overhead, they can easily reach four metres in height. Ambles are extremely hardy and long-lived social creatures, usually forming close-knit family units with several adults tending to broods of four to seven offspring. They are also, they are also natural tunnelers, with eyes sensitive to the faintest light, even into the infrared spectrum and claws that can excavate through soft rock and earth at alarming speeds. Amble communal tunnels and caverns can stretch for many kilometres underground, forming a vast network of what can, appear to be, uh, what can appear to the unwary as safe havens from threats above the ground. We should have mentioned earlier, uh, we wanted this to be a little bit of a shorter than normal episode because obviously Nathan and myself are under a lot of pressure to get everything ready for Arkramunda. Um, but... Faith in Nath. Yeah, faith in Nath. Uh, <laughs> no. And then he goes and reads something like that where you just have quite possibly the most heavy metal description for a giant bug ever. The thing is over four meters tall, 
lives in family groups and can just tunnel through whatever they want. Um, this I'll is tell terrible. you now. I'll tell you now. A scenario writes itself for this. Going to capture an amble young to raise oh. to use in a gladiator pit. I don't want to. Like, we've got to talk about the amble, but I just first thing that popped into my head was oh, that man moving yeah. into a central nest location yes. to grab eggs yeah. and then. No, no one attacks you. You're, you're fighting each other as well as trying to get these eggs. So you're trying to get there not to wake up the ambles, but the moment Bro. someone picks up that first egg, yeah. boom, roll a scatter dice, whatever direction yeah. comes through, yeah. amble smashes out. And it, like it says there, they live in uh, close-knit family units of several adults yeah. tending to broods of four to seven offspring. Mm. So let's say several is, let's just say four. So four, yeah, it's a nice, four, nice, nice number. Let's say they've got one offspring each, or they're mm. you know two mating pairs with two offspring mm. each. That's six mm. ambles. Mm. That is horrific. They can come from any direction at any time. Yes, yes. So from oh. the center, roll a mm. scatter, roll two d six, mm. and an amble comes out in that just direction. Roaring. Or just tunnels oh. up, tunnels yes. up, money yes. bump. Yeah, they're like they're from what we read here. They're like an a, 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 just an over the top aggressive termite in a much smaller number than what you'd expect from termites. They kind of look like a termite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, let's. I, I want to come back to this. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. I've derailed us twice so far. But... We need someone to test this scenario for <laughs> yeah. it. Um, well. Ambles are great, and a lot of people will actually bring up, uh, we know there are ambots on Necromunda, not necessarily ambles. And you're absolutely right, there are ambots on Necromunda, but there are also ambles. Uh, back in 2019, Games Workshop uh, released the rules to use the ambles and the ballworm infestations in games of Necromunda. Now... These things were monsters. Nathan, each of these adult ambles has seven wounds, a six-inch movement, a three-plus weapon skill, and four attacks. Um, oh, by the way, it has infiltrate, is unstoppable, and its chitin armor is a three-plus armor save. Um, I know who can take that down. Oh, also, it's all... Uh, its attacks are strength six, AP negative three, and damage two. So yeah. it's literally punching you with like heavy bolters. <laughs> it, it's got heavy bolter digi weapons. Oh, heavy bolter digi weapons. <laughs> um, I, you know what? I'm signing up uh, Gumple the Scabby Juve to take on this. <laughs> He's got it, mate. He's with his bolt gun and his bad attitude. That's all he needs. Um, that is a disgustingly brutal profile. Oh, my word. I, as I've mentioned a million times before, I love the idea of, like, high-pressure situations on, on the gaming table. That itself, the, that one model, creates a high-pressure gaming situation where you're like, if that gets anywhere near any of my gangers, it's all over Red Rover. Plus, on top of that, how do I even start to kill it? It's not even just gangers. Um, GW, when they released it, made a little scenario where they put it up against two ambots. Now, if you've ever gone up against an ambot, they're not, they're not fun to go up against. Those things are tough and they will just ruin your day. But the amble 
takes down two M bots just casually. It just absolutely smashes them to bits. So imagine what this thing is going to do against gangers. Now, yeah. like, it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and um, I love uh, it. You, I love you, it. You, unless you're jumping on it with multiple gang members, you're, you're not you're not standing a chance. I don't care how brilliant your corpse grinder leader is or your Goliath, you know, um, jacked up leader is. They they are going to get pummeled by this thing unless they've got everything rolling in the right direction for them. But they they the fact that it's infiltrate the fact that you know mm. actually can just deploy anywhere. Um, it really plays into that concept of it's a tunneler, and on a place yeah. like Ramanda, everything can be tunneled through. Now, yeah, um, some cool background information on the amble. Most imperial xenologists believe the species evolved in the deserts of the distant death world of Luther McIntyre 9 in the Segmentum Tempestus. And basically, ambles just live underground and all of their food lives underground. And so they just charge their way through and get in there to go, hey, your dinner today. Nothing can stop these things. They are the apex predator. And there's a really cool instance in uh, one of the Caiaphas Kane novels, who is this is probably one of my absolute favorite series of novels done. And it is basically these Valhallans find a bunch of ambles on this planet, and they're just like, ambles aren't supposed to be on an ice world. And they these these things are insane. They just rip and tear. Um, and obviously, it's all because of Necrons. And yeah, Sandy Mitchell when he described when describing the Ambles uh, just does an amazing job and really lets them live up to that terror that they would be bringing. And the concept of an Amble, like because you can get you can get the card. The, the information is right there, released by Games Workshop. Now, imagine doing, here's a gang idea, an outcast gang. Too early in the episode for led, that. Led by an amble as your, as your leader. And it's a cult of people who, for some reason, the amble isn't killing, and they worship it as this living personification of their tunnel god. And their oh. whole shtick... Is to kill and feed their feed their master because if they fail, the ample eats one of them. Yes. So, African lions, right? They they operate in what do they call? Not a herd, um, a pack, a pride. pride. They operate in a pride. But what happens is when the head male is displaced from that pride, it then becomes um, uh, it becomes basically like a loner. And those were the ones that hunted down humans. So that's why I would see the, because uh, they needed to eat. You know? so, so that's what the Ambles done. It's been dejected from, rejected from its own uh, cluster. And so then goes out there, starts killing humans. But the, the humans realize, well, if we can feed the Amble, then we can actually keep it on our side. So they're just constantly working to kill others and capture others so one of your one of your things to sort of role play your game would be to try and take as many prisoners as possible 
and then as soon as you get them, you don't do anything other than kill them and feed them to the animals. Boss eats them. Oh, Boss eats them. Yeah. That's that's a great idea where a um uh an adult amble has somehow either been detached from its family group or mm. as it's the only survivor of its family group. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of hunting through your campaign. This would be yeah. a great um, you know, arbitrator tool where uh, you know, this, you know, old old scar face the amble mm. is mm. just in there if you're especially if you're doing what is it, the um What's the tunnel one called? Um, there's like a Hector Mechanicus and... Oh, um, escapes me. The Mechanicus? Yeah, I don't know. The ones where you're fighting in the tunnels. I'm going to remember it yeah. in like 10 minutes. Yeah, I know. You're like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, you're playing in those tunnels and just your arbitrator just puts in this amble and just mm. scatter dice movement in whatever direction. And whoever it comes up against mm. is just unlucky. Yeah, yep, yeah, 100%. And oh. you just deliver that. That's, that's the pain of it. But it was just jumping back to the lore of them very quickly, I do like that, um, and you can, in our research, we found that they're quite immune to mutation as well. So, I mean, when, yeah. when, when you look at the miniature or the artwork for it, you're like, well, to be honest with you, it looks pretty mutated to begin with. But there is this underlying thing that they are, they are quite resistant to forms of mutation, whether or not that be from their environment, but or also potentially from um, chaos mutation as well. So they they really are sort of a pure creature um, that is just going about its business, which is is very it's interesting because they are for me they seem semi sentient. Um, so it goes against I guess imperial policy that they're still kicking on. They should be you know, wiped out because they are a Xenos race. But I guess if they are considered just part of, like, just the beasts of the land, then I guess the, um, they're not building cities or anything, so I guess no. the Imperium would probably give them give them a, a bit of a wide berth. They just go, yeah, well, they're, they're never going to be a threat like, you know, the, the, the Eldar or the, the Tower might be. Yeah. See, it's interesting because oh, I'm pretty sure it was in the Kyphus Kane novels. It's mm. mentioned that... Uh, some people thought they would be an interesting substitute as a ready source of protein in the Imperium of Man instead Ooh. of Groks. Um, yeah, right. Groks, which are just, in my opinion, one of the most insane creatures of all. But we're talking about ambles. And yeah, yeah, so uh, we'll get to the, the G section. <laughs> um, but people were like, yeah, what we'll do is we'll round up a bunch of ambles and we will domesticate them and we'll breed them and uh i think we'll just use them as a meat source and yep. so people would put them in pens mm. and forget that they just tunnel and they're like i'll oh, we'll put them on top of rock it'll be fine and they just tunnel straight through the rock and yeah, all of a sudden, right. your planet has an infestation of ambles yeah, so their birthing their breeding rate is high too yeah well they're pumping out multiple you know mm children at a time and then all they need to do is hang out underground in these you know as you said these cave tunnel and cavern networks that can stretch for kilometers Mm. and you know they they will just bust out of wherever they want to attack the unwary like we said it at the beginning scenarios write themselves and absolutely they do it's crazy yeah 
I'm 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 gonna need to source an Amble model and then obviously a bunch of the uh the ball worm infestations as well. Um mm. and yeah, we're gonna have to have some fun with those. Yeah, there's such an awesome part of, part of the law because as we've already discovered, there's so much we can do with them in terms of exploring campaign. But they give you a sense of, you know, they're they're for use of it as a, like a non invasive species. They come in. Yes, mm. they set up their own territory and they're aggressive and they kill and they hunt and they're carnivorous and so forth. But they aren't a, a necessarily a plague. And we do did mention that they, they obviously have incredibly high birth rates as well. So they can, in a small cluster, become quite dangerous. But they're not. It's not like a they're going to overpopulate a region or overpopulate a planet because there's a, I guess there's only so much they can do um, in terms only so of much food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they're gonna they're gonna run out, which is it's interesting to think what their what their food source is like. Obviously, if they're carnivorous, they are hunting down humans or whatever species is on the planet. Everything and anything. Like, if you're an amble on Necromunda, your diet will consist of everything from Goliath steaks to cord or shish kebab. Like whatever, whatever yeah, right. unfortunate individual comes past you. Is lunch, yeah, right. So they're sort of, uh, in my mind, they work a little bit like, and you, we did. I've read earlier that they they burst out of the ground to get their foe. But I also like to think of them working like a, a trapdoor spider. So <laughs> somebody's just walking past, just like shoop, snatch him in. It's holding like a, a torn down bulkhead, and it's like, I wonder what's <laughs> around there. Yoink, yoink, gotcha, honey, got dinner. Where did Steve go? Where is Steve? He just this, this, this boot. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but, we can't leave Steve though. We can't leave um, Steve. Steve's gone. No. Sorry, sorry, Steve. Um, <laughs> but moving on from ambles. Uh, okay. We're going to go something a little different with this next one. And this actually comes to us all the way from back in the Outlanders rule books. This is some N95 stuff. And that is the Ash Clam. Now, one of the strangest creatures to inhabit the lower reaches of hives such as Necromunda's. How they came to be there is a complete mystery. However, it is known that they inhabit the ash waste beyond the walls of the hive. In the desolation of the underhive, they reside under the dirt and rubble that litters the floors. Extremely sensitive to vibrations, they will instinctively open their shells when disturbed, swallowing down the debris and anything else above it. The clams will attempt to eat any living thing that enters their shell, though a person is much too big for them. Nonetheless, it can be very frustrating for the victim as they become trapped by their ankle in a vice-like grip. And woe be to any unlucky underhiver who finds himself so trapped in an isolated region of the hive with no one to help. They sound delicious. Honestly, I kind of want to eat ash clam because um, you you know they're they're going to basically be fed on free range underhivers. Yeah. Well, <sighs> anything like you know anything that comes in there, they're just like bottom feeders, cleaners of the hive, mate. They would have a they would be succulent, but it's genuinely terrifying. This concept yeah. of like this living bear trap. Yeah. That it's just like, it's yep, just, like just walking it. along. It just yeah. clamps down your ankle. And it's just like, oh, 
I am in some trouble. Like, yeah, yeah. what sort of, like, if you look at, there's some pictures here of what an Ash mm. Clan would look like. Now, what sort of pressure is that thing clamping down on your ankle? Can you, like, can you slip your leg out between the boot? Can, yeah. can you get, like, a, can you get a pole in there and sort of try and lever it open? They would have, like, hard shells on them as well because yeah. they're, they're in Necromunda. So, and from what you read, they're, they're, they're native to, well, I mean, they don't know how they came there, but they seem like they've adapted themselves to, to Necromunda. You know what I mean? Are they yeah. just a very low form tyrannid? Well, That's the mouth. Oh, man. It's... <laughs> the hive mind really screwed up when it made yeah, just things. just went, oh, look, let's send something to Necromunda. Ah, oh, just look, mate, I've made these. Just give them a go. Those little but, chompy things. <laughs> it, yeah, it's literally just this concept of this horrific giant clam that, yeah, it literally is a bottom feeder. Anything mm. that goes into it, it's just going to try and digest. Mm. And, like, if, if you are the unlucky bastard that gets your leg in there, yeah. right, if you're running from someone, your gang's looking at you being like, listen, sorry, bro. Um, we we are yeah, uh, yeah. out of here. Hope, hopefully, we see you later. <laughs> We've got an ample baby. We're on the we're on the run. <laughs> you need to take care of yourself because the ample baby's a handful enough. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, this amble's just looking at you like, "I'll come back for you." Yeah, you're not going anywhere. You're fine. Um, so, a couple of things about this. Uh, firstly, from a gaming sense, anybody who has any traps in their gangs. When your oh, trap is man, activated, man. just tell your opponent it's a Ash Clam. Just be like, you got done by an Ash Clam, mate. <laughs> you might have got out of it, you might have something, but you got done by an Ash Clam. Well, it's embarrassing. You know the rules for um, like the enforcers when they hit you with the magnacles and they like get them on there? Mm. Roll a, you know, you, you've been grabbed by an Ash Clam on this trap. Um, Roll a, I don't know, D6, and if that D6 is uh, less than your strength, you've gotten out. But if it's not, you're stuck there. You can't move. You're mm. also stuck facing the direction you're in. Yeah, the facing you can't point. really turn. Um, like you get a chance to get out of it every turn. Like yeah, every when your turn. activation comes, roll that strength. Roll, see if yeah. you can kick the the, the jaws open. Yeah, so you're really rolling for what the strength of the Ash Clam is, not what your strength is. You just want it to be less than yours, which I think would be a really easy mechanic to sort of pull in is this is what my trap does. And it's a mechanic we already know exists because of, yeah, the enforcers. Um, oh, and there's traps. There's traps in the game. And there's traps. Yeah. Well, yeah. well what, what I'm trying to get across is just humiliate your opponent a little bit more and just be like, ah, <laughs> your gang got eaten by a clan. What a fool. Like, um, imagine, imagine stepping onto a giant thing that is looking like a trap and not thinking this might be a trap. <laughs> you dummy, you silly McSillystein. Um, the other thing as well, this highlights the fact that they could be farming these. Then oh, they would be. They would be. Then why are they making corpse starch? They're just taking the easy way out. They yeah. should have. Clam chowder, twenty four seven available on Necromunda. Yeah, but what water are you going to use in it? 
They should have clam steaks 24-7 available <laughs> on Necromunda. You know there's going to be some part of the hive where it's literally going to be in a book that's released next month and it's be like, yeah, our particular hive, the primary source of protein is clam steaks. Yeah. Which is, once again, it's going to be like, okay, we look like idiots. Uh, <laughs> everything about this episode is wrong. Uh, oh, sorry, there's no ambles on Necromunda, and yeah. everyone eats clam steaks. Um, you fools. You dummy dum-dums. See, if I was having a game, I'd be like, once per per month in your campaign, you're like, your, rec- your, um, your what is it, your maintenance costs for your gangs go down because they've hit on a stash of clam steaks. And you get like a little bonus to your leadership or something. And um, oh, okay. Mission idea. Um, you model up some ash clams and you put them somewhere on your board, um, but make sure there's it's where you can get shot really easily. And then you can do a double action when one of your gang members gets in contact with them. Uh, to harvest, and you will actually harvest by the end of that turn uh, a single sort of serving of clam. Mm. So if you have a slopper, your slopper will mm. cook up a batch of clam chowder, and it make it add like plus two to the roll to make a ganger instead of missing that round of. Com- I don't know, oh, yeah. missing that yep. game, they come back earlier, or yeah, yeah. Um, you can give it to someone, and if they get a, fle- a flesh wound or two flesh wounds, um, they can eat this clam steak, yep. and it it takes off two flesh wounds because it's delicious yeah. clam. Yeah, it's I- cool. Yeah, but what I would have with that, whoever uses it, roll one d six on a roll of one, shellfish allergy. <laughs> Instantly sculled. <laughs> Instantly sculled. You you you're at you're immediately out of the game. Yeah. But you don't experience a, a severe injury later on. It's just yep. Shellfish allergy. You like you start coughing or you vomit or something. You're just like, nah, listen, I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there you go. Literally just a fun piece of, you know, just nonsense you can do in your games from yeah. this thing that's been around since the Outlands. Outlander's yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we better move on to our next, our next yeah, bit of corner. This was um, supposed to be a quick episode. Yeah, it was supposed to be. This one was actually really hard to find information about, um, uh, mainly just, you know, just to the optics of it, the, uh, the blind snake. Uh, so the blind snake is a poisonous albino snake native to the underhives of Necromunda. And here we get to mention the cool gang. Ratskin tribes capture blind snakes in order to extract their venom for use in the making of blind snake pouches, which they believe to be powerful good luck charms. Cool. It's just another cool piece of sort of old lore mm. that... <sighs> I love this sort of stuff because it's like... it's 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 a... Nothing throwaway line. It came back from that original Necromunda rulebook. And yeah, it's just this is this is what the Rapskins do with it. And 
they take the venom and they ended up turning it into blind snake pouches. And this was a cool piece of equipment back in the old Necromunda um, where it, it sort of gave them this weird sixth sense um, it, where the actual poison and the mixture that was inside these pouches Basically, you wore them against your skin, and it somehow leached into your body. It was sort of, oh, right. you know, it was like a little fetish that guarded you against um, bad spirits and sort of, you know, the the evils that lived underneath the, you know, the sun or the, the in the underhive. Because it wasn't just poison; it was uh, fungi and herbs, and mm. you know, it was yeah, it was worn. Um, against yourself to really protect you from everything. And I think it's just a great old piece of lore that I personally would just love to see come back. Yeah, I think so too. I think it it, it just adds that extra element to the, the rat skins. And look, I mean, that's a, speaking of things wanting to come back, they would, would love to see a return of them. Uh, I think they're, they're one of the coolest uh, ideas and gangs. And I know there's probably... Uh, I think there's some sort of cultural insensitivity, insensitivity around it, but you can still portray them as ratskins without calling them ratskins or whatever the case might be. But look, the blind snake itself is a really cool idea because it gives you, tries to give you an understanding of where they would find these snakes. You know what I mean? Which part are they in the ash waste? Are they part of the hives? Where are the ratskins needing to go to to gather these snakes up? And what size are they? We have no reference to that at all. Uh, in my mind, they're probably no bigger than a normal sort of day snake. I wouldn't. I can't imagine them being some ridiculously large thing if you're able to grind them down and uh, create some sort of uh, pouch from them. But also, this is Necromunda. Yeah, I was just about to say. But also, this is Necromunda. So invariably, the blind snake is the size of a land raider. Yeah, yeah. It's nineteen meters long. It yeah. weighs three point six two tons, and yeah. they routinely chew through like, you know, the sides of of the hive because they yeah. want to make sunrooms. You're just like, mm, I'm a milk yeah. that thing. <laughs> yeah. I've got a little pouch. Right? I just want five percent of what you are. What into this pouch, please? Yeah. I need I need eleven drops because I've got this fun guy, yeah. and I have to mix it. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Yes, blind snakes. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Plastic pouch is awesome. Yeah, that's they, cool. Like both in the game term and just in the um, the the sense of like you know, there's there's something that we will touch on in a later episode at some stage um, of chems and drugs and all that, and that's one of the drugs that you know is probably not in modern day Necromunda, but uh, it definitely, definitely still exists. It still exists, but it's not at the hands of the Escher, which is very interesting as well. Mm. And that's where I guess a lot of the fauna, like there's so much when we when we talk about the drugs as well, um, like you, we mentioned in the previous episode about mortars, how Escher are drawing their toxins from the dead bodies, and they also draw from um, creatures that they that they brought into the planet as well. They mentioned that we mentioned that in the Escher episode. They, I haven't really seen a great deal about what they draw out of the creatures. On Necromunda themselves, yeah. so that's another great thing, I guess, to explore. Like you know, the Amble, the Ash Clan, the Blind Snake. What can you actually draw from them to to create some sort of toxin, or maybe maybe it might just be like a little bit of pseudo cream or something for a little bit of an itchy itch 
that's what you get out of the amble. Who knows? I now really want someone to do an Asher gang called the Blind Snakes and have all of their clothing painted in different snake skin patterns. That would be um, so cool. Yeah, that is just, that, that is for a painter cool. much better than me. Right. Now you can slap chop that. That'd be easy. <laughs> <laughs> I screwed up base coating today, so yes. Um, neg- <clears throat> Next up here, uh, we have carrion bats. Now, immense colonies of carrion bats blanket the ceilings of tunnels in the underhives of Necromunda. An immense black wall of squealing, writhing, winged beasts pouring out of a tunnel can be a terrifying sight to the unwitting underhiver who disturbs them. But these bats are not generally predatory by nature, preferring to scavenge the remains of animals killed by larger beasts. Nonetheless, they are feared by the residents of Necromunda, and rightly so. Their carrion diet ensures that their bite can carry a wide variety of virulent diseases, included the dreaded zombie plague. You guys can all guarantee, and I promise you all now, these are making an appearance in our Hive Mortis campaign. Because (laughs) nothing says Mortis. Like going down the wrong tunnel, oh. pissing off a whole bunch of carrion bats, and yeah. your whole gang getting infected with the zombie plague. Yes, yes, that's that's a very cool idea. Of like that could be just even an out of game experience that you could have. So rather you, like you know you're doing an exploration with your gang or something around mortars, and then you've stumbled on a bat cave, and X amount of your gang members have been bitten. But they, I, I like the fact that they're not considered actually a predatory type of beast, mm. which is cool. It's a, again, again, this is what I love about the fauna side and the beast sides of um, Necromunda is so much of Necromunda is about really um, over-the-top aggression and things that are hunting other things or things that are killing other things um, in, a, in a very predatory type manner. Uh, most of the fauna that we're talking about here is just simply reacting to stuff that's going on inside of its environment, mm-hmm. you know, ex- except obviously the blind snake, which is being hunted down. So the idea that the, the carrion bats are just growing and, and amassing, and surely they would have to exterminate them at some stage as well. So Could you? you like, ge- genuinely, could you? Like, they would, they're bats. They would live in the, the hidden caves, and they'd live in the roofs of... Um, domes and tunnels like you'd you'd never be able to find them all. No, I'm not saying about all of them, but like say if you you've got an area of your hive that is just renowned for do not go over there because the carrion bats are god awful. They're like for our Australian listeners who would be very aware of this swooping magpies. You know, it's, yeah, it's god awful. Like they'll they'll annoy you. They might bite you, whatever, and then you get turned into a zombie, and then. You know, the redemptionist comes down, causes a, causes a thing. Um, so, but what I'm saying is, like, they would have to try and exterminate them. They'd be, they, they sound like more, out of all the great creatures we've read about, they're more like a pest-type creature that would just annoy you in your part of the hive. You know what would be cool to see? If someone did a Cordor or Redemptionist gang based in Hive Mortis, mm. and instead of Sheen Birds... used carrion bats because the rules would effectively just copy across yeah but yeah instead of 
instead of these biomechanical birds, have just just a bunch of whopping big, like, vampire bats, basically. You know, mm. you can you guaranteed you'd be able to find some cool bat miniatures somewhere mm. on, from GW. Like, does the Vampire Counts Rage have any? Oh, there was. There was. Oh, that's going back bats. to... Um, a very long time ago. I don't. I don't know anymore now. I know definitely when you had vampire counts and so forth. There was definitely bats within it, but they weren't really like. They weren't very sort of putrid looking. They just looked like creatures of the night, which I guess the carrion bats are. That they're not. They're carrion bats because of the the way they feed. Yeah, so, all they eat is bodies. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's the fell bats. Hmm. Um, although those things are monstrously large, yeah. I'd allow it. I would one hundred percent allow it and be like, mm. "The they are monst- Yeah, okay, no. Cordor gang based in Hive Mortis, hmm. carrion bats. Those fell bats are tasty options in that regard. Do you know what's coming to memory now? Actually, is the old um, bat swarms. There were bat swarms, and they were very, very cool. So rather than have the, the, the miniature represented by a single miniature, you have it represented by a swarm of bats just yeah. going over them, just perfect their target. Yeah, so they're, 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 they are, uh, again, as I like these type of creatures that we talk about because they're not, um, they're not uh, overly aggressive species, and they're also something that is adapted to within Necromunda. Again, we've got to ask a question, though, and I'll, we'll probably ask it on every single one, and it's definitely pertinent for the next one. Um, are they a native species to Necromunda? Jarian so- bats? No. 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 I, I truly believe, uh, much like spiders, rats, and disgusting, disgusting democracy, it's something <laughs> that humanity brought with them everywhere they went from Yeah, right. Era. Do you know that the, the, that the, when you say humanity brings them, imagine like a space hulk or a heart or a, a cruiser or whatever with carrion bats inside the hull. That's cool. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> Lieutenant, what happened to your face? Uh, attacked by carrion bats coming out of the mess hall today, sir. Ah, uh, oh, uh, that'll happen. Again. Yeah, yeah, that'll happen. I mean, it's great that they're there. We use them as food, and they use us as food. It's just symbiotic. <laughs> it's it's the perfect uh, life cycle, really. Yeah. Well, I did already mention it, and I guess we'll throw into them. Oh. The, the mighty carrier tid. This is what the people have been waiting for. Carrier tids are small, winged, blue humanoid creatures which infest the many air ducts and vents throughout Necromunda's hives in great numbers. Carrier tid are seen as good luck charms by many hivers, as they tend to attach themselves to charismatic powerful and successful individuals. For example, very successful gang leaders and their henchmen are often attended by several caryatids and Necromunda's planetary governor, Lord Helmore, is known to have at least one named Blinky. Good old Blinky. Mildly psychic, they are particularly attracted to the soon to become powerful and can penetrate human minds. Usefully recognizing malicious intentions against their companions, and sometimes even fighting alongside those they, they latch onto. Although they are a sign of good fortune of those they adopt, an individual whose pet carrier leaves them is regarded as waiting for death, as the departure is seen as something of a bad omen. 
Karyotid's blue skin is generally covered by intricate tattoo-like patterns, and some are known to paint their faces, such as Lord Helmwars, and wear bracelets, bangles, anklets, and earrings. As well as fighting with, with small auto-weapons, they have also been seen to carry light sources, such as candles. Huh. Helpful little buggers. Yeah. They, yeah, they really are. They should not be confused with the artificially, artificially constructed cherubim, sometimes used as familiars by psychic inquisitors, which are also sometimes seen in the Underhive. Although it is less clear if they are related to other small-winged humanoids found elsewhere in the Imperium, such as those which ring bells and bear incense in the Imperial Palace. Take it away, Sam. All right, so there's a lot to unpack with this. Now, um, firstly, I want to talk about the question you asked before, which was, are a lot of these beasts native to Necromunda? Now, as far as I'm aware, we don't have caryatids here on Earth. So I'm assuming that we probably haven't taken them with us to Necromunda. Necromunda also seems to be the only place they are mentioned. So as far as we are aware, caryatids are a native creature to Necromunda. Um, I, I go along with this. That's that's good. Uh, are we? Am I leaving the door open for a conspiracy rant here? Or... Oh no, no. There's there's lot. There's going to be a conspiracy rant. Um, it's it's going to sort of amp itself up. Now, caryatids are seen as good luck charms by many hivers, and they tend to attach themselves to charismatic, powerful, and successful individuals. Now, that, just skipping past this part here, they're also mildly psychic, and they are particularly attracted to the soon-to-become-powerful and can penetrate human minds usefully recognising malicious intentions against their companions and sometimes even fighting alongside they latch onto. All right. Now. I'm waiting for it. Caryatids are not a good luck charm. Caryatids create the luck. Now, because so many people have are under the belief that these, let's be honest, Psychic parasites are actually good luck that that reality itself has gestated because of the natural psychic phenomena that is resonating from within necromundan hives, for example. So we know the characters are psychic. They are able to know what people are doing before they do it. As it says there in black and white, they are able to recognize malicious intentions against their companions. Now, it's seen as a horrible thing when a caryatid leaves the individual it's attached itself to. So, once again, is this actually what's happening? Is this luck component that they somehow bring with them an actual thing? Or do so many people believe that because, you know, Timmy's caryatid has left him, all of a sudden he has bad luck. He's had this meteoric rise where these, this caryatid or these multiple caryatids have attached themselves to him. As psychic creatures, remember, aboard the witch, these tiny little xenos monstrosities are feeding off the natural psychic energy 
that an individual gives off and are using it for their own ends. We don't understand what those ends are. I was right? about to ask what those ends were. <laughs> because... we, we don't. We don't. You, you've given right. a lot of depth to these guys. They sound they they went from like, oh, really cool, good luck charms to nefarious and sinister sinister Absolutely um, they are. individuals who like machinations shall never be known, working on the the deep dark depths of the politics of uh yeah, hives and gangs and even Absolutely. Houses. That's the thing. Like we look at them where they they latch on. They are they're, they're, they're a parasitic psycho entity where why are they attaching themselves to these individuals? Why are they all of a sudden around people and their luck is affected? The only other instance I can think of uh, through you know many years of Games Workshop lore and background um, was... Uh, was the Afril strain, where the Adeptus Mechanicus biologists uh, attempted to take the DNA of various heroes from throughout Imperial history and clone the perfect soldier. Was it the Afril strain? Um, I know they were clone soldiers, but I don't know if they were actually... Um, I don't think they were... Yeah, they no, were no. made as the perfect soldier, were they? Yeah, it was the I believe it was the Afriel strain because, um, and it was stuff like, um, various living saints, uh, Lord Solar Macarius, all really? of their um, DNA was combined to create these soldiers, and they were these soulless albino like think they were all amazing soldiers, but they were uh, albinos with you know like the the, the alabaster skin, the pale hair, the, the colourless eyes. There were two of them in the Last Chances novel. Uh, Last Chances novels. Uh, fantastic. But yeah, right. they were universally seen as having the worst bad luck of anyone because oh, they were right. this thing that was created and they were soulless. Uh, my understanding is they were soulless. And I believe this may be what the um, what the caryatids are. They are an instance right. of possibly genetic and psychic manipulation. Because uh, you know how it mentions the likeness to the cherubim that yeah, you, yeah. you do randomly see? We know a lot of those are created by the Ecclesiarchy and the Adeptus yeah. Mechanicus. Um, what's to say that the caryatids aren't some sort of dark age of technology manipulation, possibly even as early as the, uh, you know, the Arrhenaeus continuity, that mm. they were attempting to maybe create a weapon where it would, it would actively influence the luck and ability of those around them. And... When the continuity has fallen, these things have escaped into the hive where, you know, it says they, they live in... Um, they live in the air ducts. They live in the air ducts and tunnels yeah. and vents and all of a sudden they just, they just pop out, you know. And the first couple of times it happened, people were like, oh, yeah, you know, you got a carrier to it. That's good luck. And then the second time it was good luck. But then all of a sudden someone loses one and just happens to die soon after and it's oh no he died because his carrier had left him and 
it becomes another one of those things where it's just like it's it's not actually why he died. He died because he picked a fight with four Goliath in a pub, in a pub, and all he had was a rusty spoon. The carry tin. was just like, I'm not getting involved in this. I'm this not getting true. involved in this. You know what he's like when he's drinking. I'm out of here. Um, that's what actually happened. But this story has perpetuated itself, and it's it's grown and it's grown and it's grown, and that is why caryatids are actually having the effect on people. It's this mass hysteria that we know, we know that faith in the emperor, um, praise be upon him, uh, can, if you have enough faith, you can have living saints where, you know, people have woken up from wounds and who have ignored damage and all that sort of thing. Is there You're a chance? Saying... Go on, sorry. Is there a chance that this is what the caryatids are? They are simply the almost personification of faith and belief in a lie that has somehow created its own truth. So it's manifesting. It is manifested to its its truth. Yeah, Yeah, okay. So people are like, caryatid rocks up, I'm destined for good luck. And yep. so you could have other people around that particular champion or gang leader or whatever saying, well, they now have a caryatid and yep. they've come to get ammunition from me. Well, I'm going to give them the ammunition, maybe just give it to them or do it free of cost because they're going to rise up the ranks because of caryatids with them. He's got to remember that I yeah. gave him that ammunition. Yeah. yeah, so you begin, people, what is it, the 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 old saying of like hitching your, hitching your wagon to these people. Exactly, exactly. And so... That is the how the manifestation of good luck comes about. Yes. And then I don't them. trust them. I do not trust them. <laughs> right. Okay. And now we've sucked it in the audience. And they're like, these guys like talking about law. No, it's all been building towards this, baby. I do not trust talk. these things. These caryatids, these flying little blue winged monster babies. All yep. right, they're plotting something. <laughs> Righty oh. So once they get bored with their target, they boot off. And they boot everybody, off. Everybody because... else around them goes, "Oh, we are not going to give you that free box of ammunition, or we're not going to follow you into battle, or we're not going to provide you with support because you've lost your carrier tit. Because exactly. that carrier tit can spell can sense your demise." Right, I see what you're saying. I, I think probably you're wrong, but that's okay. Well, think about it this way. Do you remember in that uh, rule book episode, we talked about Blinky, who was the favoured caryatid of Gerontius Helmore, our beloved planetary governor. And that this caryatid who had hitched his wagon to the most powerful being in the Necromundan system. Quite honestly, I believe one of the most powerful planetary governors in the entirety of the Imperium. Right. And has has more staff than in Helmore's blood children. And that when, when challenged, entire houses knew that if they were even considered to be offending Blinky, 
they were at risk. Why do you think this little psychic miscreant has attached himself to Helmore? <laughs> Helmore obviously wasn't too lucky because a murder robot stabbed him several times. All right. Yes. So what do you think? Blinky's just like, oh yeah, I've got, I've got Blinky's in on it. All right. <laughs> the entire Aranthian succession. No, no, I'm not going that far. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think Karyatids, there's so much more to, and it's all been left in classic games workshop style. So unknown. We know all these things about them. And I, yeah, I, I don't think they are real. Um, I think they are most likely artificially created. They remind me a lot of the uh, the familiars from Gene Steeler Cult, where they just mm. seem to materialize out of the pure psychic energy of the forming brood mind. Yeah. Where caryatids, I think the luck that's attributed to them and the the status that they seem to get within the Underhive cool. is because of a, uh, a misshapen and almost reinforced misbelief as to cool. what they really are. Um, which, and it, which we obviously don't know what they really are. No. And that sort of leads to the question of if you believe that they are nefarious and they're, they're not actually there in a sort of, I guess, a natural sense that they simply existing and they just find themselves attached to greatness and fleeing from um, uh, gang leaders or leaders who are about to uh, go on the way out. So if there is that to them, that they are have some sort of sentience about who they are, then what's their reason for that? Why are they actually um, creating these? Why, why did Lord Helmore get stabbed when Blinky should have been ringing the alarm bells? Well, you know, there's... We know he has at least two, Blinky oh. and Rex. Yeah. So we know for fact that um, Helmore has at least two characters. And if they're such good luck, oh. how did he almost get assassinated? Yeah, right. So you do know, you think there's an overarching, like a, a, a hive mind behind the character? I wouldn't necessarily say hive mind, uh, but I, I believe... Oh that they know a lot more than they're letting on. See, I, I like to think of it as that there was, that they were created, and I've only come, come up with this idea since what you've spoken about there. They were created um, for whatever means, I don't know, but a long time ago their creator died. Um, and they basically Ooh. have... The, the way they procreate, for use of a better term, is that the more psychers that are present, the more caryatid become present, you know? So it's like a psychic Ooh, battery. Almost feeding into, oh, a psychic yeah. battery. Yeah, that like, once it's fully charged, boop, there you go. You got yourself a caryatid, you know? And they would be of all varying different levels of psychic ability. Um, and from that is why they only show up here and there and they, they particularly attach themselves. Well, they wouldn't necessarily, from what you're saying, for going down your pathway of logic, is that they wouldn't necessarily have been attaching themselves to somebody who's successful. They're pretend, attaching themselves to an environment or a scenario or a person where they think it's going to be successful and then that creates that, that I guess, mob psychic energy. 
Well, here's another example of why you're wrong. Righto. The other named <laughs> caryatid we have is Styx. Styx is the caryatid companion of a Therosabine, the bodyguard and sister of the matriarch primus of House Escher, Adina Sabine. All right. So this caryatid hasn't attached itself to little Timmy down on his luck. Mm. It's attached itself to someone in the constant presence of greatness. Mm-hmm. Someone who is actively able to show their value as a companion, knowing that the four tellings that caryatids are apparently known for in protecting the life of one of the, let's be honest, seven most important people on the planet. Or that caryatid has attached themselves to the future matriarch. So are you assuming that Athera is going to turn against... I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, why you would be, why would the caryatid not attach itself to somebody who is going to become a house ruler, a clan house ruler? Maybe there's something in the future that... Well, we know that Athera is uh, her sister's proxy or, you know, assigned champion when it comes to fights of honour and, you know, contests, that sort of thing there. Yep. So if you argue honour against House Escher and, you know, you're basically saying, hey, Adina, I disagree with you, well, you can face my champion. My champion just happens to have this caryatid. You're going to see the caryatid and immediately think... I've made a critical error. Yeah, well, there, there you go. But uh, Athena has it. I'm saying that she potentially could become the, the new matriarch of House Escher, and that's why the Acariotid is hatched. So that on one side of the logic, it is that the Acariotid is attaching itself to somebody who's destined for greatness, and your side of the logic says that she has become so powerful and great because people are recognising the Acariotid and going no, 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 I'm not getting involved in this fight, or I've already lost this fight even before it's begun. That's what I'm saying, yes. Yeah. I I, I like to think that potentially going to see the, the change of leadership within House Escher. Wow. Wow, that is... That is dangerous talk. <laughs> dangerous talk. Um, and re- reminding people, this is a... Um, a Beasts episode or a Fauna episode. This is a Beasts episode, not, <laughs> not the political episode. Yeah, um, political, Escher political episode. But now that I've had, I'm assuming, about a 20-minute rant about caryatids, um, caryatids are insane. And just the, the bonuses that they get, like them in-game, I think is just fantastic. And, oh, yeah, in a game sense, oh. it's brilliant. And just even to, to be able to, to get a caryatid, I think is such a great way to do it. The, the dice roll required. and Oh, yeah. Mm, but, and makes it difficult, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just so cool in that respect where it's like um, they've, they've been around since, you know, back in N95. And 
they're they're just such a strange and weird little role play thing mm. that you can throw into a game, and the the fact that they've carried over from N ninety five, and that you know they losing one can have such a huge damage to your gang. Gaining one gets you so much. I mean, the if you have a carried, no matter what. Your reputation is improved by plus one. Yeah, right. Wow. And if it is ever killed or should it, you know leave you, yeah. um, no matter what, your reputation just drops by two. Wow. Like, um, but it it also helps in in so many different ways. Like, it's <sighs> I I love them, and in game I think they're great. But in law, I do not trust these weird little nudie rudy blue things. <laughs> you can't trust them because all they wear is bangles and no pants. Okay. So this is amazingly I'm going to be able to talk about the carrier tip at, at some point. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that's something I was going to mention about them. The description we get of them and them bouncing around with firing their little auto weapons or whatever the case might be. Yeah, it's also um, very strange that they have, uh, it mentions they have auto weapons. That goes back to confrontation. Um, but in modern Necromunda, they actually have a ballistic skill of nothing because they can't shoot at range. Yes, but see, I with that description, I envisage them as tiny little, like, jeweled up like hoodlums really with little, little <laughs> auto pistols way too much bling um definitive uh clan colors showing in the form of blue just getting in and around necromunda having their own little gang okay. war the carried gang war within necromunda so you've obviously got the clan houses and then you've got the uh the carried gang war so <laughs> <laughs> Also, one other thing as well. Um, who was it? Who's the owner of Sticks? Athera. Athera. So Athera. I think Athera is going to be fine. Just jumping back to that, because I'm sure that her carrier tid is going to stick around. Yeah, like, and I get that. I because his name Sticks. Yeah, yeah, I who get sticks that. Around, yes. You're you're really um, happy with that one. I, I I am because I thought about it earlier, and then you just talked too much, and I was like, okay, fine, Sam. I'll pretend like I'm not here. That's fine. But um, the other thing we, I was going to say as well regarding Carrier is that they are so iconically gothic and uh, 40k like the imagery of them. You know the the cherub and so forth, and this is something, yeah. and it's in Necromunda, and it's it, it is just so like you see that image, and anybody who knows forty k just goes, yes, that is some relevance to the Imperium within forty k, um, which is interesting because they're not really that in Necromunda; they're more of a neutral, um, and they they just I guess their presence is is obviously how they impact things, but. You, I guess from what we see of them, they are a neutral source 
they're not really providing yeah. a benefit to to the Imperials or negating them in any such way. It'll be interesting to see if carry tids. I, I don't know because I've never actually purchased one for a gang, but can they be bought for outlaw gangs? Available to any gang leader. Um, oh, it is. They're a rare fifteen. Yeah, yeah something like um, that. Pretty high dice. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, um, but that's interesting. That means that so a carry a carried for a, a chaos gang or a carried for a gene stealer gang. Okay. Oh, yeah. The the particular alignment of a carrier is a weird concept because mm. yeah are they aligning themselves with Ashrace nomads are they aligning themselves with chaos gangs like there's there's a certain line where it's going are you aligning yourselves with gene stealer cult gangs and is that psychic influence Influencing the carrioted, or is the carrioted influencing oh, the brood right. mind? Yeah, like, absolutely. That's yeah, yeah, right. That's really cool. So the idea that their psychic presence, but in the, is their psychic presence then? Well, I mean, you're saying that they're not really psychic. It's the it's what they generate around them. Do you know? That, they, that's what they, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So if they're not really psychic. And they're rocking up with the Gene Civil War band. They're like, oh, yeah, right, we'll just take you on board. But if they are psychic, surely the the Gene Civil Patriarch would be able to feel that. And or are they are they attaching themselves to the Patriarch? Oh right. And are they attaching themselves to his chosen sort of you know hands? Yeah, or right. Are they saying, hey, you oh. know, you giant purple Marmaduke? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna help out your I'm gonna help your brood. I'm gonna help your children yeah. and sort of exert my influence on them to make you go Yeah, if they're attached themselves to chaos gangs or gene stealer cults or corpse grinder cults, are they assisting in perpetuating the spread of chaos? Yeah, exactly. So then, but this is what I'm saying. Like they, they, from what we see, they are a neutral element. But by attaching themselves to these, aspects, how can that be neutral? How can it be neutral? It can't be. Also, just two very quick points. One, the carrier tid that makes it to the Ashways Nomads respect because there's oh, no hive tunnels or anything. Well, <laughs> well done. There's tunnels going between the hives. Maybe it's just uh, Maybe he's going down one of them. <laughs> just pop, you just imagine just popping his head out of like an access point, like a yeah. meerkat, yeah. and this Ashway Snowman just looking down and be like, um, okay. He just sort of looks at him, is like, cool. Does a little jingle jangle with the wristy bangle, and jumps up, joins up this Ashway Nomad crew, and everyone's just like, um, okay. All of a sudden, they find a convoy that just doesn't happen to have any guards. Like, you know, I was going to say this almost debunks what you're saying as well because mm. if they add any luck to the Ash Race Nomads, who, in my mind, would not really have much reference about Carrier Tids, plus also they're not having that. 
This is not... supposed to be an episode yeah. about priests, <laughs> yeah. not Samuel's theories on where the ash waste nomads come from. Uh, that is you're, a whole different... You're, you know, you're just about to be debunked. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> because how could they provide luck to a group of people who are just like, what the hell is this flying blue thing with us? Because they would, they would barely know what a carrier seat is. And all the, all the transport, um, all the, the, the waste transport, what do you call them? The caravans. All the yeah. caravans that they've destroyed wouldn't have carrier tits with them. They might. That, no, because those carrier tits would know bad juju's coming. They'd be gone. They wouldn't be or joining that they're going there and they're right before the caravan gets attacked, they flap on away. Watch those nomads attack attack that uh, caravan, and then that uh, nomad's leader all of a sudden has a brand new carrier friend. They are jumping ship. No, I'll, 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 I'm going to say they, that means that they've got to get back to their air duct or back to their vents. It's too hard to travel for those little. That's, that's just where they live. By the they they crawl on back of that uh, helamite, and they're just hitching a ride, buddy. <laughs> no way. Look, I, I, for me, your carrier theory is slightly be debunked thanks to the Ash Waste Nomads. My carrier conspiracy theory is yeah. Yeah, my, my carrier conspiracy? Conspiracy. A caraspiracy. My caraspiracy? Yeah, <laughs> caraspiracy is redundant. But one last thing I'll say about the carrier in just in, in sense of how they look and so forth, we, we acknowledge there's orc gangs on Necromunda. Yes? Tick a box? Yes. Yeah. So, in my mind, that carotid is a blue flying squeak. Yeah. Gang idea. Gang idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, yeah, 100%. I believe that carotids would attach themselves to orcs um, if they, they were the symbols of Gork and Mork, then they would surely look at them as that. They wouldn't just be like, "Oh, I'm just a bit lucky." I'm like, "Oh no, what what's the color for luck? Is it no purple is stealth? Purple stealth. Ah, uh, luck is blue. Blue, isn't it? Yeah, because the oh, I can't think of a clan. Death skulls. Death skulls. Yeah, they're never out. So they would be bl- they're blue anyway. Maybe they're manifestations of Gork and Mork. Hmm. Because why it would make sense if a carrier is supporting a leader who's going to become uh, powerful, that's exactly what Gork and Mork would do. And if they're going to become weaker or diminished, Gork and Mork's eye does not fall upon the orc that's going to be thrown to the wayside. It focuses only one, on the ones that will become more powerful and bigger. These are Gork and Mork. These are orc god creatures. I've said it. And I thought my conspiracy theory yeah. was bad. Um, it's not bad. It's genius. It's, they're orchids. Orchid. <laughs> or carry um, We we need to move along. This we is need been about thirty minutes of uh, <laughs> carriotids. Well, and this is officially a carriotid hole, and justifiable. Yes, a literal carriotid <laughs> hole. Yeah. So, moving away from them, next up on the list is going to be the Cyber Mastiff. Now, I know we did say earlier that we were not going to be focusing on anything house-specific. 
but there are generic Cyber Mastiff options. And Cyber Mastiffs are actually a very big part of sort of the pet idea when it comes to 40k in general. And the Cyber Mastiff, sometimes called a Cyber Jackal, and commonly known as a Kill Dog, a Razor Fang, and a Rending Rover, is an Imperial robotic or cybernetic construct for use in combat and hunting that is based on the form of large Terran hunting dogs. It generally stands hip high or so to an adult human and over a metre long from tip of head to hindquarters. Its lean body composed of high-speed actuators and motor systems over a carbon skeleton and wrapped in angular interlocking armour plates. Cyber Mastiffs are a fearsome extension of the Emperor's law and a truly terrible sight to see unleashed upon their quarry. It is said that a Cyber Mastiff can rip off even an Ogryn's arm in just one snap of its powerful mechanical jaws. Now, Cyber Mastiffs are usually deployed under the control of the Adeptus Arbites, or Arbos, and in planetary enforcer units for hunting down their prey and to catch criminal fugitives attempting to escape planetary or imperial justice. But on some worlds, such as Necromunda, the dogs are actually cyborgs who retain some organic internals, generally muscles and nerves, and on some frontier worlds, cyber mastiffs are in fact conventionally bred hounds of Terran genetic descent with armour and controller graphs. Arbo's models, on the other hand, are almost completely mechanical, with only the central nervous system using vat-grown or three-dimensional printed organic layers created by Adeptus Mechanicus genitors to take the cortical imprint. Now, obviously, we know the primary sort of user of Cybermastiffs on Necromunda is going to be House Orlock. Um, we've all seen them. They're sick. And then you have the, um, how do they, enforcers? the enforcers, what are the ones that they call it? It's the uh, hard case cyber mastiffs. That's right, where, hard case, yeah. Yeah, they're sick. But, you know, you, everyone can get uh, hacked cyber mastiffs, which are basically your regular cyber mastiff, but someone, uh, someone sort of like put a computer virus in its brain and it just randomly goes insane <laughs> and will bite you. Because, you know, you want, you want Fluffy, the uh, robo-attack dog, to just randomly bite you on the leg instead of attacking your enemies. Um, yeah, I, well, that's, a, that's a lot about robot dogs. <laughs> it is a lot, but there is obviously the, the obvious takeaway from everything you read there. Can you, can you see it? Dogs are cooler if they're covered in armour plates. Rending rovers. Rending Rovers. <laughs> that is the best name I've ever seen for them. I didn't know they were ever called that. That is brilliant for them. Rending right. Rovers. Just imagine um, Scooby-Doo if he was a Cyber Mastiff. It's like every time you know, there's, you know, Shaggy's like, oh, jinkies, and everyone's running away. Scooby's just like, oh, hold on, rips off the guy's leg, and it just yeah. turns out it's the general store owner who wants to chase away the, you know, the big you supermarket know. chain. You know, Scooby, we could have just taken the mask off. No, no, no. I'm a rending rover. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Am, am, I a, am I a kill dog? Or am I take the mask off dog? Yeah. <laughs> Rot row. It's, it's, 
instead of Scooby <laughs> Snacks, it's just human hands. <laughs> or Ogren arms. Ogren as arms. As, yeah, have one of these. But um, yeah, no, back on track with this. They, they are, I think to include them in our, in our base episode is the right thing, just because they are a common place. Like, you know, yeah. just, yeah. It's just a, a, the dog itself is, is commonplace, and this is just a way of making it um, 40K-ish or Necromunda-ish or, you know, yeah. gothic, that it becomes this, this thing that is infected in a, in a cyber way. You know, basically, you're, you know, you're looking to, to incorporate technology in them to give them that killer edge more so than anything else. You're not looking, it's not going to be the, the dog that rolls up on the couch with you. I like to think that uh, (laughs) after a hard day of, uh, you know, attacking, I don't know, scabbies, you crawl up in the couch in the gang hideout and, you know, Fluffy the Killbot jumps up on the couch with you and, you know, he's chewing on the remnants of some poor scabby bastard who was just trying to find a meal and you're, I'm assuming, eating a fried Grox burger. And it's just... It's great. It's lovely. And then, you know, Fluffy accidentally nips off one of your fingers and you learn he doesn't like to be scratched behind his ear like that anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no longer near the um, audio implant in the back yeah. of my head, please. Back off. But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to, to know exactly what the process would be for selection of the dogs and then how the, the technology oh, yeah. would be yeah, because how do you, like I mean, are they are they breeding these dogs? Are they, or are they finding particularly angry dogs and going, you you would gr- do great with some butcher's nails embedded into your head? Well, yeah, like if you, even if you just look at the the Orlock dogs, um, they're sleek, they're but they're they're powerful looking dogs. Now, it's you're not. Uh, you know, they look almost like rot wheelers. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably only seeing that because that's almost how they're painted. Yeah. Um, you're not going to see, like, uh, a Cyber Mastiff made out of a pug or, <laughs> um, like, a, a, a toy I would poodle. Find, I would find the pug more terrifying, to be honest. Because it's think it's... screeching at you as it's coming to have a nibble. Like it is actually more terrifying because it's primarily at genital range. <laughs> <laughs> Regular cybermastiff going through the throat, pug cybermastiff, mate. It's 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 ankles and genitals. Like, <laughs> just oh, mate, you've you've got me thinking about different dog breeds as as it's like um, just the cutest little chihuahua with like like no, some sort of implant. No. Chihuahuas are already like demons from the fifth yeah, no. of hell. Can you imagine if you gave them robotic jaws and what was yeah. it? Uh, how did they describe it? Armor plates. Um, you know, this uh, has generally got me on the giggles. The idea of a chihuahua with armor plates and a robotic jaw <laughs> just going at you. Gang idea. No, no, no. You know, actually, <laughs> I've got an idea though. Not a gang idea. Um, marketplace idea. Right, and it's probably not kosher, but I'm going to say it anyway. A pound, so as part of your oh necromunda, you actually have a little pound there. You can go buy your cyber mastiffs, and it's you know it's got a little parrot in the front, and yeah, that'd be cool. No, see, because Gumpel's going to end up going buying a cyber mastiff, yeah. and 
I think he's already lost the bolter. What's he going to do with a, with a <laughs> robo-dog? Um, Hunt down his bolter. Hunt down his bolter. <laughs> but clearly, clearly, there is uh, a case for an argument to say that the the pet industry in Necromunda is thriving then because we have ferrets, yeah. cats, we have doggies, we have all manner of different types of animals, you know, maybe an animal. We actually also have, uh, there's that trader. There's three of them, the underhive traders. And mm. one of them's holding up like the weird, um, like lizard thing. It's a beast oh, wrangler. Right. The beast that's wrangler. Right. Yes, 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 yes. That's like, from the Book of Outlaw, I think. Yeah, anyway, yeah, sorry. Yeah, but it's like it's got the Gyrinx cat. It's holding up like the baby, um, sump croc mm. and, um, it, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's wearing some croc. Yeah, some croc boots. Um, That's I re- right. I, really need actually, to I, need, I need to have a look at him now. Yeah, I've I've actually just bought him up now as well. And he's got like a weird little lizard on his collar. Like, there you go. Okay. Terrain idea. Yeah. <laughs> I need to build your pound and just have like, um, yeah, just different, like a part of my marketplace that I eventually mm. need to do. Yeah, do the... You know, adopt a cyber mastiff and just you know get all the different dog models from throughout Games Workshop. Yes. Ooh, I am ninety percent sure there are some really cool dogs that just came out with those. Uh, there are that, the hunting, It's like the hunting pack thing. It was in the um, Warcry. The new Warcry. Is it the yeah. Warcry box? I think so. Yeah. Oh man. Um. Do you know? Who this you model the person who does all the selling there is like a Doctor Doolittle style necromancer. Oh man. God. <laughs> Some of the conversations he would have with the animals would just be the most dastardly things you'd ever hear. <laughs> so he did what to the who and the what? Oh right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and the character abandoned the guy in the middle of the battle and yeah. joined up with the orcs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right, because caryatids are, are all creatures. No, no, we've moved away from caryatids. <laughs> there are going to be enough people screaming at us via email and Discord, just being like, stop, stop, stop talking about the caryatids. Um, they deserve, no. They deserve they, the mention they got. Yeah, um, no, yeah I, look, I oh, think it'd be great. I think, yeah, there's definitely a case for pets and and just familiars to be added to gangs that just they don't ever add anything in terms of a game sense like oh my pet does x y and z but it just you know might give you an extra level of cool or an extra level of like an extra point of call or an extra point of leadership or or something along those lines but a great a great thing and i think it's actually something you mentioned during i think it was our escher episode mm. where we talked about how just just use different models for the pets. Like, yeah. we're talking about Cyber Mastiffs here. Um, oh, man, I cannot remember who did it. Uh, someone took some of the Griffhounds from uh, Age of Sigma mm-hmm. and turned yeah. them into Cyber Hounds. And we That's gave cool. them, like, robotic legs and some mechanical yeah. parts. And I made one in, like, a pale comparison to mm. what this guy had made there. But stuff like that, just, you mm. know, if, if you're... If your outcast Escher gang is going to hire Cyber Mastiffs and you don't want them to be dogs because that's a little too warlock and you want them to be cool mm. lion birds, yeah, like, yeah. 
there you go. You you want you don't want to have fear cats. You want to have fear griffhounds. Like yep. do it, do it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's so many cool gribbly beast options that mm. you can do. Um, and I mean, just going sort of going back to cyber mastiffs. There, there's all these different options for what you've got there. Like the the Adeptus Arbites kill team. Sorry, Adeptus Arbos kill team. Yeah. Uh, has a great dog. We've just said that there's all those dog options from the new uh, Cities of Sigma. Um, the, oh, was it Blackstone Fortress? Blackstone Fortress had some animals in it. I'm just trying to remember what they were. They was just... it the dog there? No, it was the Euclidean Fast Riders that had the dog, wasn't it? No, no. Euclidean Star Striders. Yes, They've got they, have, they have, oh, I can't even think of the breed of dog that it looks like. I'd say a Ridgeback, I think, or something like that. But it, it yeah. looks like just like a, a normal dog. Um, but it's just got armor plates on the front and, and top of it. Yeah, but that, that, but... That, that dog there, like that particular miniature, would look great in the pound, you know? Yeah, 100%. Like, it looks really cool. Yeah. But that's it. Like, you don't, if you don't even need to have every single one of your dogs looking the same, make them different. Mm. Like, sculpt a, sculpt a Robopug. And giggle as it rips the calf muscles out of that Goliath gang. Like, mate, do it. I, I want to see the uh, Robo Chihuahua. Robo Chihuahua. Robo Chihuahua. Was it uh, Raging Rovers? <laughs> oh, that would no. be the definition of a Raging Rover. <laughs> uh, rending Rover. Rending Rover. Sorry, my apologies. Uh, to... Yeah, like. And we're obviously going to go into uh, the particular variants of Cyber Mastiff uh, in the Orlock episodes and the um, Enforcer episode. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's just there's so many different options because the generic option is a hacked Cyber Mastiff, but yeah. you don't you don't need to go with one of the Orlock ones or with one of the Enforcer. I think the Enforcer ones are only available with Scrutinator Primus, Sir Valen. Yeah, yeah, but that's a full blown like armor plated robot. Um, yeah, but yeah, that might not suit your particular gang. But mm. hell, man, do it. Do yeah, it. Do, do. It. It's, do. Like I think the the idea of I mean, like the other creatures we've talked about, you can't see them really included in your gang as a pet. You know what I mean? But the the cyber mastiff, it just it you add it to your gang to give you that extra little bit of you know theme and story that you're creating the vibe that you're creating, you know? I find that offensive because as someone who would like a giant Ash Clam pet, um, I, I... Cute little lead on it. Yeah, cute little <laughs> lead, just drag it around randomly, just throw it at people in the marketplace. <laughs> it gets it wrapped around their head. They fall down. All of a sudden, there's all this stuff on the ground that I just get to take home with me. Yeah. Thanks, Clammy. Shocking. <laughs> Real original with the name there. Yeah, nice work. <laughs> it was a mixture of Clam and Timmy. Um, <laughs> well, we've talked uh, a long time, but I think we can do just one more. Yeah, I, th I think so too. And it's it's a good one to um, well end on, depending on how far we're with this. <laughs> Especially with what I've just done with Clammy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's the, the fate, the face eaters, uh, and I think they originate from Katachan from what we understand. So on yeah. the 
Death World of Katachan, a planet known for its hostile life forms, the Katachan Face Eater is considered to be one of the most unpleasant. In its natural environment, the creature hangs from low branches near water sources or anywhere prey is known to travel. When a prey creature comes in range, the Face Eater will drop or use its powerful muscles to fling itself in the direction of the creature's head. Once attached, it will not only suffocate its prey, but also use its powerful digestive acids to begin to feed as it slowly kills. The creature is difficult to remove once attached, as any damage dealt to it naturally travels to the prey it is attached to. Once it has succeeded in killing its prey, the creature lays a clutch of eggs, which hatch in a matter of hours as larva-like maggots. These maggots then feast upon the remains of the parent's kill. The rapid maturity rate has caused the creature to be quite the threat to nearby star systems, where its towel-like appearance and fondness for warm, damp conditions, such as those found in a bathroom, have helped <laughs> its spread. Oh, I had to pause there for a second. What am I reading? What is, have, we, have we gone off, off yeah. topic here already in just the read? <laughs> where did you get this information from and why are you telling me there's some sort of face-eating monster living in my toilet? Um, the Katachan Face Eater. Uh, and a lot of people will probably be guessing, why are they talking about a monster from, you know, Katachan, a.k.a. your average Australian holiday home? Um this bad boy comes to us from the Necromunda Outlanders rulebook once again, and face eaters were actually imported to Necromunda and released into the heating vents in a poorly conceived attempt to control the colonies of vermin and deviant scum using the uncharted miles of pipe to travel about the hive with impunity. That's really just how Australia got most of its... In um, most of its party, it's just somebody's going like, "Oh wait, how do how do we get rid of this creature? Well, let's get a cane toad in." No, 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 on better. I can bring a face eater in. Well, what does it do? Well, it's in the name, buddy. Release it into the tunnels, and you watch. It's going to do its job. It's going to eat all those cane toads. It ignores <laughs> the cane toads and literally just eats people. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, it's, that's what they've done. They're just it's the ambles all over again. It's like. Yeah, just take them over there and we'll breed them yeah. and we'll we'll use them as food. Um no, no, this this was a terrible idea. It was a shocker. And do you know when reading about how they operate, they do have a very similar um method of killing as a drop bear. That yes. Australian drop bear. So yeah. well that's this this is might actually get a little bit too intense for a lot of our listeners. Um the the drop bear is quite possibly one of the most dangerous uh, animals in Australia. Mm. Um, to the point it almost of, sounds like they base it off the the face eater was based off it, but anyway, loosely well, based off well, it. Well, yeah. Well, mm. if you take into account the fact that it focuses entirely on the face, mm. Um, mm. that you know it the going from gestation of um, its young to hatching them in just a matter of hours. It's one of the reasons why we routinely purge um, forest and wooded areas of drop bears, as, drop bears, like, yeah, as every Australian exactly. knows. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and they must do the same with the, the tunnels on Necromunda as well. They, there must be kill teams that go out there purely just like you, your 
job today is to go kill. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's genuinely in there. Um, the information we have here, extermination campaigns were launched and they have at the very least ensured that face eaters are now confined just to the underhive where mm. the prevalence of more toxic conditions keep their numbers low. Mm. Now, the, you know, much like the drop bear has, you know, its, it's natural skill at hiding in trees mm. and amongst the leaves and stuff. Um, face eaters are amazing when it comes to this in Necromunda because they appear as just scraps of cloth. You know, mm. if you're, you're walking through the underhive, you're going to see a piece of cloth draped over a piece of wire or it's just... Mm on the side of a pipe, who cares, whatever, you're not paying attention to it. Mm. As soon as you're getting close enough, that bad boy throws itself forward and attaches itself directly to your face with hundreds of tiny but almost impossibly sharp hooks wrapping around your head. Yeah, and, okay. like, you see that, you're, you're going to see, you know, Timmy the Jew all of a sudden, mate, stop playing around with that piece of... Towel. Like, what are you doing? Come on, and mate. Next we're thing a you know, to go to. Yeah, we're <laughs> heading to a fight. Next thing you know, he doesn't have a face anymore. Yeah, like yeah. it. It it genuinely is that anyone around has to react almost immediately to attempt to save the person. But okay. yeah. the reality is, once it's on you, your your only option is to cut off the person's face. Right. Right, so what you're saying is the ad mech are the ones only with a chance against this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all the people obsessed with uh, plastic surgery and who want the most <laughs> extreme form of facelift. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah, it's, it, it is a terrifying concept and a creature to have. And you, when you layer that on top of the nonsense that goes on in Necromunda... Um, it just it adds more terror, and I just love the idea that they've just left it in the underhive. They're just like, ah, <laughs> yeah, we we have cleared the important areas. Let yeah, the, it's let not the coming past the wall. Them. We're yeah. fine. Yeah, exactly. And your only defense in the actual in the underhive proper is just to make sure you got no towel racks in your yeah. little hab. <laughs> just get rid of all my towel racks, just to be on the safe side. <laughs> just imagine, you know. Oh yeah, I heard. Uh... I heard Krug got himself a new towel rack. Rod. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Whoa, 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 whoa. Everybody, just, I just want you to take a moment to appreciate we have a person, or persons maybe, I don't know how far he's going with this, it in Necromunda, that isn't Timmy. Congratulations, Sam. Woo, yeah. Yep. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> but Krug got himself a towel rack. Oh, yeah, that's great. Nope, ate his face. Oh. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, bought a towel from that stall in the marketplace. Mm. Face eater. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but that... You that on the big jobs. Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, but it, it implies the fact that the face eater will attack anything as well, not just um, human-sized targets. So yeah. if they're in all of these areas, then the creatures within those areas are all vulnerable as well. It'll be interesting to see, because they seem like a, a predatory type, or they don't seem like they are a predatory type creature, what exactly would hunt them down? Or what exactly would be killing them? Because you're not going to be able to control population and numbers just through extermination patrols. There has to be something that would be enjoying themselves a nice little roll-up snack. Yeah, that's... Oh, 
man, it's um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost like a um, it sits within the sort of I don't know food pyramid of Necromunda, where they're living primarily within uh, heat vents, tunnels, mm. that sort of thing. They they flourished in these areas. Mm. Um, and I think eventually, like, like any situation, animals eventually learn, I can't travel down there because mm. that's dangerous. So their natural prey being, I don't know, giant rats. I'd and, say giant rats is um, primary. Spiders, all that sort mm. of stuff. They're not going there anymore. And all of a sudden mm. you've got hivers or um, scavies or nomads traveling through these areas being like, oh, I can travel down here because I don't get attacked by, you know, a, a hundred giant rats led by one weird corridor bloke. Um, <laughs> yes. But all of a sudden, you know, t- Timmy loses his face. It's, I think, yeah, it is eventually a nature finds a way. So I, from what you're saying, they'd probably end up starving themselves out, like, or they would have to migrate to different. No, they would areas. have to migrate because we know they can migrate. They they use muscle spasms to move themselves. Now, What's I was just that? about to ask, how do they travel? Yeah, what? muscle spasms. They're effectively a giant muscle with a mouth, and like, yeah. uh, what's the gene stealer, the ovipositor, where it puts the yeah. egg down your throat after giving you the kiss? Like, yeah. 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 It's it's a it's a face hugger, it's a face hugger, but yeah. it eats the face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just um, love the idea, it's like a mass migration, and it just look a, a face eaters <laughs> flapping across the ground. Oh man, someone's washing got blown off the. But this is another great thing with what you said before with the ash clams. Turn these guys into a trap. Yes. Come up with some rules and, mm. you know, um, if you've really got to work quick and if, if hopefully you've got a buddy with you so they can help. Mm. But this is a great sort of alternative idea for a trap for your mm. campaigns or your one-off battles or mm. just arbitrators. Just put it in, you know. Kooky stuff like this is what makes Necromunda Necromunda. And it would fit perfectly in a Zone Mortalis fight oh that's it <laughs> zone mortalis i'm so glad you've said what it was because that's going to annoy me all night otherwise <laughs> um yeah no it's oh man zone mortalis that mm. these things would be just deadly mm, absolutely it would be and it, it could be something as as like you know even even secretly what you could do as a as a pregame, this would be cool actually. As a pregame, you the arbiter allows either gang to have herded some face eaters into a particular tunnel, and you can set them as a trap in that particular mm. tunnel. So you get this extra little bonus action you get to perform in pregame for your gang, and you secretly place it down, and then you know you go, oh, you've entered this particular tunnel vent, have you? Boom! Yeah. Face eater attack. Yeah. But it's. <laughs> It's also a great way for an arbitrator to sort of not punish the gangs, but really give them a challenge. If if your mm. if your campaign's getting a little bit tired of the same 
same types of mission and that. Man, do that do that amble egg scenario we talked about before. Mm. Throw a couple of face eaters in those tunnels. Yeah. You so, like a, a mission just purely designed around fighting a menagerie of animals. You know, so it's just like that old Doctor Doolittle is uh, <laughs> under Hive Doolittle is doing his uh, yearly catch. Yeah. He's trying to find all the juvenile animals. He yeah. needs you to take care of the parents. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you've got this mission where it's just this, just this mass amounts of animals just pouring in, all different silly ways of killing you or hurting you or you know sending you bonkers or something. And your gang is just trying to either fight their way through them or run away from them. Something along those lines. That's ter- that's that's terrifying because, yeah. you know, inevitably, uh, what are they? Peter is gonna is <laughs> gonna be like, you need to stop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've killed you've killed enough animals for one game. I'm sorry. <laughs> Our Peter representative that we have at every single Necromunda session is no longer happy with these results. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. All right. We we are getting <laughs> silly now. Um, it has been a long, quick episode. Um, I, I'm going to be honest, we've been at it like two hours now, dude. Um, I think this might turn into a multi-part. Hey, the audience might just say to us, it's like, what was that? You two just like Samuel, you need, you need help. Uh, Nathan, you need to stop enabling him. Um, (laughs) but I think there's going to be a multi-part. We might uh, throw a couple of these in here and there. Yeah, just come and revisit, obviously, the, the multitude of animals we haven't spoken about. Um, <laughs> just because we... This so much longer. We've gotten through, yeah. like, five of them. <laughs> I know, it's an incredibly <laughs> long list. And we're just like, let's just talk about, like, the cyborg chihuahua. That's a great idea. That's a, yeah. what a fantastic little um, tangent to go down or carry Tidhull to go down. Yeah, and we went down like, I think about 60 minutes of actual carry a Tidhull. Yes. But, okay, closing thoughts on the animals we've gone over so far. Your Amble, your Ash Glams, Blind Snake, Carrion Bats, the Caryatids, Cyber Mastiffs, and the Face Eater. If you're taking one of these bad boys home, and it's definitely not going to eat you while you sleep. Or while you're awake? Yeah. What do you have? I, I think I would go with... I think I'd go with a, a face eater. I just... I like the idea of them. They're very cool. They are very, very cool. Out of everything we read there, the anvil's going to wreck you. Nine times out of ten, it's going to absolutely... Eleven you. times out of ten, it's going to destroy you. <laughs> the carry tid we know is an orc thing, so it wouldn't suit. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah Ash Clan, Blind Snakes, a little bit boring, but the 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 face eater would just keep you on your toes. Go to pick up a shirt, you don't know. Go to grab a <laughs> towel, you don't know. Ooh, got you, Dad. Got yeah, you. Gotcha. <laughs> um, uh, the face eater, I think, would be great. You chuck him in your gym bag. You go to the gym. Some what someone's on the machine you want? Surprise face eater. Yeah, there you go. It it eats them. Everyone's just like, oh my god, gotta stay away from that guy when he wants my machine. Use your machine, face eater, wipe up the sweat. He gets a lovely drink as well. He he loves you. 
He won't eat you after that. You wait. New, the new face eaters come out of the corpse. You've just possibly tripled the, the number of pets you have. All of a sudden, you've got a business. Yeah. Um, what about yourself? What would you pick? Honestly, carry it. No. Oh. <laughs> no, mate, I'm going to Namble. I'm going to Namble. I would never need to uh, catch a train again. He could just dig me a tunnel where he wants to go. Um, they're, you know, uh, a four metre tall, um, what do we say? Termite gorilla. Um, no one's breaking into my house ever, ever, ever. I guess, I think it's a great idea. The only little sort of chink in that would be that, um, the anvil could just crush you at any time. Oh yeah. Yeah. You'd be yeah. play fighting with him and all of a sudden, you know, he rips your arm out. Yeah. Um, and you can't get mad because then he would get upset and yeah. rip your other arm off. Rip your like, other it's arm okay, off. buddy. It's yeah. okay. You, I know then you can do it. Then how am I going to paint my miniatures? <laughs> In the cracking pace you're doing at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd go Amble. I yep. think, I think it'd be great. Um, yeah. It'd be, it'd definitely be a way to ensure people stayed away from my shopping cart while I was at the supermarket. Yes, perfect. Just take them with you. And plus, yeah. all those mandibles and stuff, he'd carry all the shopping back into the house for you. <laughs> Do it all in one trip, yeah? Yeah, all in yeah. one trip. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Closing on this one here. Uh, if you're still listening and you didn't get immediately turned off by my... I genuinely think it was about 60 minutes of just ranting about caryatids. Scummers, the competition is still open. Um, like the Instagram, like the post, comment a gang. Please don't message us being like, hey, I want to do this gang. It doesn't count. I, I, would, I wish it would count, but it doesn't. Those are the instructions. Please do it. Um, Nathan, please tell me. You're, like, just finish your gang. Build it, paint it, two weeks from right now. Two weeks, two, in fact, two weeks from right now, we're at the end of day one. Faith and Nath. Faith and Nath. I, <laughs> I've got faith and Nath. Uh, we will close this one out, as always, with a quote. And this one here comes to us from that 2023 core rulebook. Loyalty is a sadly lacking trait these days. Every juve and their pet rat thinks they can shoot you in the back if it means a few more script to line their pockets. This is why I trust old Face Ripper here with my life. You can't ask for a better friend than a Cyber Mastiff. He's certainly more reliable than you bunch of misfits, and given the chance, he'll rip your face right off for me. You remember that. And that is Maida Jones from the Sons of Iron of House Orlock about his cyber mastiff, Face Ripper. And that was our latest episode of the Underhive Lawkeepers podcast. I am Spamuel, and on behalf of the Lawkeeper team, thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram and don't forget to follow and review us on your preferred podcast platform. As always, if you have questions, complaints, corrections, or if you wish to know more about the Caryatids and their obvious links to the assassination of Lord Helmore, please reach out to us at underhivelawkeepers at gmail.com. Thanks. <laughs>